You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. We finally had our first real bona fide cold front. And Halloween is over. I'm so glad Halloween's over. I hate Halloween. It's my least favorite holiday. I don't understand why we do it. The only good thing about Halloween is we walk around the neighborhood and get to meet our neighbors uh, that we only see once a year. That's really it. Uh, the kids, I know I know what you're going to say. The kids, it's for the kids. They have a good time. They love to dress up. That's fine. Uh, my kids, uh, especially my little girl, dresses up all the time and pretends to be uh, other stuff. And so, uh, you know, fairies and dragons and all kind of stuff. So you don't necessarily need Halloween for that. But everybody nowadays goes way overboard with the Halloween decorations. They've got like someone, uh, they got like a, like a fake person in their front yard tied to a tree that's got, you know, fake blood all over it and had their head severed and all this kind of stuff. It's like, come on, man, that's ridiculous. I can pretty much tell by someone's Halloween decorations out front, whether or not we're going to be friends. Uh, so I, this is actually the second year in a row that my wife and kids have said over and over, hey, will you get the Halloween decoration boxes out? Because they're in the garage. They're in these totes in the garage, along with the fall decorations with, that are different than the Halloween decorations. And then the 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 proper Thanksgiving decoration, I mean, yeah, Thanksgiving decorations that are different from the the fall decorations and then the Christmas decorations uh, are after that. And though, oh my goodness, the totes involved in the Christmas decorations is off the charts. We already have Christmas lights up because we, we pay this guy because I wouldn't do it. So we pay this guy to come do it every year. And he's gotten so busy as to come earlier and earlier every year. So I'm just telling him to leave them on next year. We'll just keep them year round. Uh, it's so... I just, when they tell me to get the the Halloween decorations out, I just don't. I just go, oh, yeah, I agree in the moment. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll get them down. And then I never do. And it's the second year in a row that this has worked for me. Second year in a row, I have not had to decorate for Halloween in the yard. And uh, that's been my secret. So if you're like me and you're the Scrooge of Halloween and you don't want to decorate you can get away with that. See how many years it works for you. I threw away some of the decorations because they were broken. And I haven't told um, the domestic coordinator about that yet. So I threw them away two years ago. So we'll see how that plays out next year. But I, by the skin of my teeth, snuck by again for another year. So that's all over. We got this cold front. What is happening on the water? Well, let me tell you what was happening before the cold front. We had high water. We had muddy water. We had windy conditions the week before this cold front came in. I was out with my buddy Ellis, 
and we struggled. Uh, we caught fish, but I think we only caught, if I'm remembering this correctly, I think we only caught two redfish and like a whole bunch of trout. And the reason for that is because you have a couple things that have happened. Right before all this, uh, we had a slight drop in water level and then it went right back up. Well, not all of the shrimp is out in the grass. It's, uh, you know, that first little mini dump that we had a week or two ago kind of sucked a lot of those shrimp out of the grass and they are hunkered down to the muddy bottoms of the marshlands. And the trout, especially the, the 12 to 16 inch trout, have moved up into the marsh and they are pushing these shrimp around and the redfish have noticed that. And so the schools of redfish are not just against the bank anymore. They've, they've pushed out and we're finding schools of redfish in the middle of some of these back lakes. Seagulls are over the top of them. In some cases, sometimes there are no birds over the top of them. Sometimes they're up against, they were up against the grass with the snowy egrets on them. Uh, been catching redfish in both ways for a time. You may think you're on redfish and you may be on redfish and you may pull a trout out of, uh, out of a school that happens around this time every year. And, uh, that happened to me and Ellis. We had a school of snowy egrets. We had snowy egrets on the bank, school of redfish marching down, uh, Ellis casted toward the back end of that school and pulled a trout off of there. And I was so mad. I was like, hurry and get that thing off of there and throw it back again. So we hurried, unhooked it, let it go, threw back out again and caught a redfish off of the school. So that's how I know that it was a school of redfish with a few trout mixed in. We had similar conditions where we had a school of redfish coming off of this island. I know it was a school of redfish because snowy egrets were working the bank next to it. They were pushing shrimp against the bank and then they pushed off of this island out in the middle. Well, they ended up colliding uh, with a school of trout, and the birds started acting super weird. I couldn't tell which was which anymore. We ended up catching trout instead of redfish. But I know the redfish were there because I physically saw some of them as, uh, as we were in the heat of all that stuff. So the good thing about uh, this cold front is it was an actual real cold front. It dropped the water temperature significantly, which has a short-term uh, negative impact. It pulls all those fish up off the flats. That That's in theory. Some, most of them come off the flats, but then they come right back. Uh, the wind started howling Monday. I would imagine by uh, Tuesday morning, uh, the, the dump was really was really moving. Water was flushing out. Fish were eating like crazy, and they were being pulled off the flats because the water was uh, disappearing on them, and the temperatures were dropping. Those fish probably stayed off the flats all Tuesday afternoon and most of the day Wednesday until that sun started shining Wednesday afternoon, probably around 3, 4 o'clock, warming things back up. I think the fish are easing back up onto the flats. And so going back out in the morning, with my buddy Chris, and I fully expect to find fish on the flats. Now, sometimes these redfish will stage in areas uh, near deeper water when something like this happens. And so I expect to find redfish 
near uh, drop-offs in deeper water, but I'm not starting there. I I am going to start as far back in the back as I can get my boat because that's how I just work. That's how I, my process of elimination is go as far back as I can, work my way back uh, towards the deeper water. So I'm uh, going to kind of mimic and follow the tide in the morning. We're going to have an outgoing tide and that's what we're going to do. Uh, last uh, week after the trip with Ellis, the very next day went out with uh, my buddy Chris uh, just fun fishing, which uh, is awesome. We hadn't got to do that in a while, which means I had not caught a fish in a while. In fact, I think there had been like, there probably been like 30 redfish caught on my boat before since I've even picked up a rod uh, and, and and had a real shot at one. So I uh, was excited about that. We got out. Wind was tough, but we still caught fish. Um, I think we caught five or six redfish and then quit. Uh, doing what we were doing and when exploring, uh, because that's kind of the deal with a lot of the the friend trips I take. I'm always looking for new water. I'm looking for stuff that looks good. I'm looking for places to hide when the wind is howling at any given direction. And so I'm always out scouting. So usually if I'm going to have a fun fishing trip, we're going to go catch four or five, six redfish, and then we're going to go scout. Um, and and that's what we did. So, but the fish that we caught were in muddy water, way back of the marsh. Uh, they were on shrimp, and they had egrets on the shoreline. They had uh, seagulls in the middle of the back lakes. We caught them up against the shore. We caught them out in the middle. We caught two fish off of the same school, doubled up. And this is pretty rare. Chris's fish, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see the picture. Chris's fish was probably about 20 inches, uh, and I caught one out of the same school that was 30 and a half. That almost never happens. That is a very rare condition. Usually, the fish in these schools are very similar in size. Not only are they similar in size, they're similar in color and features, They'll have similar body types, colors. They'll be similar size. To find fish this far apart on the spectrum, this different in age, uh, pretty weird, pretty rare. So, uh, But we did, though. And right after that happened, we were polling over. Chris was actually on the platform polling. Uh, I think he was on the platform. And I saw a black drums tail huge black drums tail so i throw over at it and uh and hook up immediately and i think i've got this black drum snag it's acting just like a black drum it's running slow it's staying low won't come up it's uh it's acting just like a black drum so i fight this thing for a good while and I start to think I might need to, I might not be able to land this fish because it's pretty big. It was, you know, it felt like 40 something pound, you know, black drum. And uh, I was going to kind of hang my feet over the side. Uh, we were on hard sand, really shallow water. And, uh, and I was like, I might need to just kind of get in there and help lift this thing up. And, uh, and so right about that time, I wanted to see it first, see how big it was. It comes up. It was a stingray. It was the biggest stingray I've ever hooked. One of the biggest stingrays I've ever seen in in person. It would cover 
a large trash can lid easy. Uh, it would, I mean, it's, it was huge. And so I just cut my line. I don't want to get anywhere near that thing. Uh, let it go. And that's when we went off and explored. And I'll tell you, uh, we covered a lot of ground exploring and on a lot of the clear sandy stuff that we looked at, we saw lots of mullet, no shrimp, no redfish. But just a week ago, almost all the fish we caught were on sand near mullet. So I don't understand that, but they weren't eating mullet. They're eating shrimp. That's key. Uh, you'll notice that the mullet, when when you're finding a lot of mullet around, first of all, I hate that. I don't like to fish in areas with a ton of mullet, but you can't get around it this time of year pretty much. They're going to be everywhere. Uh, when you're around a lot of mullet and you're seeing fish, you notice those mullet aren't very uh, excited. They're not very afraid. We were seeing rafts of mullet. I'm talking 50 mullet strong. Uh, when I was out with Paul and uh, and Drew, you'd see a raft of 50 mullet, and there'd be a redfish right behind that school of mullet. And those mullet did not care one bit. Now, the reason they didn't care is because they're not eating mullet right now. They're eating shrimp. And so... We found fish on sand, but we found shrimp with those fish on the sand. So all sand is not created equal. You got to find the shrimp. It's fall. Uh, And so, you know, water has dumped out now and it started to kind of slowly come back. We're probably going to get, we're probably going to get three or four more of these. I'm just speaking in a typical year. I don't know what this year is going to look like. I know it's going to get hot again uh, next week. We're going to be up in, up around 80 uh, next week. So, But we, we should get three or four more of these uh, fronts come through before we get that, what I call the winter front. That winter front last year happened in the middle of December and ruined everything. But uh, I'm hoping it holds off until January. It normally shows up in the middle of January. And that hard winter front, when it sucks that water out, the water ain't coming back for a while. It uh, it stays gone for uh, a pretty good while, and it ceases all of the shrimp hatching and all that kind of stuff. As long as we keep having warm spells uh, after these these cold fronts, you know, it flushes out, it warms back up. These shrimp are going to keep hatching until it gets real cold. So, uh, we should be good to go. Uh, I am going to be loving the clear water that we'll get for a few days before it heats back up. And so I'm going to go back to the back and all the water should be fairly clear if the wind hasn't turned it up and we're going to go sight casting. This is great fishing because, the water isn't too high to where you can't see the fish and the water's cleared up quite a bit. So if the wind will just do the right thing and lay down a little bit, we can have a really good uh, time. All of those little trout that have been back in the marshes and the back marshes, they should have flushed out by now uh, because that big dump pulled a ton of shrimp out and there's going to be a lot of shrimp in the main open bay. There's going to be a lot of shrimp, you know, flooding out into the intercoastal. 
you're going to start seeing the majority of the seagulls out there. You might find uh, you might find a group or two in the back marshes. Uh, I'm not saying you won't, but I'm just saying like we, I counted when I was out with Ellis. I think I counted seven or eight groups of seagulls over trout. That won't be the case tomorrow and Friday, and you know it might start happening again because everything starts to kind of creep back up. The water starts to creep back up. The 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 tides start to flush the bait back in and everything starts to act the way it was before and then whoosh, it's going to flush back out again with another cold front. So that's the pattern and uh, it's good. I don't think that the marsh is going to be dead. It's not. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be alive. Now it may, you know, it depends on how long it takes those fish to move back up onto the flat and into those back lakes, but I don't think it's going to take long. I think, uh, I think they're going to be there in the morning when I get there. Uh, but if they're not, I will tell you. And if they're not there tomorrow, I'm still going to go back and check on Friday because uh, I've got a customer trip on Friday. And uh, great guy, Tim's coming out. He's got a, a client of his uh, named Chris coming out, and we are we're going to go hunt shallow water. That's what I do. I can find redfish in shallow water dang near 12 months out of the year there are days where it gets really tough when that water temperature gets below 48 degrees that's the cutoff for me that's what i have seen i cease to find fish on the flats when the water temperature goes down to 48 degrees Um, it ain't nowhere close to that right now i don't know what it is because i haven't looked at it today but I've been watching the tide and I saw that sun shining and I know that that water temperature is probably in the mid to high fifties right now, if not low sixties. So, um, we'll see what it is tomorrow morning. I will report back to you on that. And, uh, you know, if you're out, um, whether you're fishing on a kayak or you are fishing out of a skiff, like I am, if you're going to sight cast, Now's the time of year when the water gets clear and it's a lot more fun. We got duck hunters to worry about out there. So, I mean, I know where all the duck ponds are, where I'm going to fish. And I I even can probably tell you which ones are going to get hunted this year because I know who's been sprucing up their blind and who hasn't. But when you're sight fishing and the water's nice and clear and you're in shallow water, it really takes a little bit more planning to... uh to be successful or else uh, you end up spooking fish after fish and you won't catch any. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, You want to pole with the sun at your back. um, And the best case scenario is that your shadow is cast over your actual boat. Um, You don't want to cast a shadow to the shoreline if if you can keep from it, but it happens. Mainly... If you pull into the sun where the sun is in your, you know, in front of you, you're your visibility is not going to be great. Those fish are going to get too close to you before you see them. So what I do is I go, all right, what areas do I think the fish are going to be in? And the way I figure that out is where did I leave them? So there have been particular areas and I'm not talking spots. I'm talking about like very large areas. Like 
acres and acres of marshland that I go, all right, they were around in these acres of marshland. And uh, there are a few islands I'll start at to check on. There are a few back lakes I'll, if the signs are right, I'll go in there. But I'm checking the wind to see what direction the wind is blowing. Uh, And so we got problems when it comes to that because you got an easterly wind in the morning, a northeast early, and that is going to put me in, uh, I guess, in a position where I would want to pull toward the sun. I probably will not do that. I'm probably going to look for places that I can I can pull with the sun at my back and still not have to fight the wind too much. So that all plays into a big factor because what happens if you get out there and you start letting yourself get too close to the fish uh, because the sun is in your face and you can't, the, the glare is too much even for your glasses to, to, to knock it off. You're not seeing the fish until they're three feet in front of you. That's no fun. It's a, you're, you're spooking fish left and right. You got to get that sun at your back. And, uh, and if you can get the sun at your back and the wind at your back, oh, you got a smile on you and you have a perfect guide's day of fishing right there. Uh, that doesn't always happen. You have to adjust and see which is worse. If the wind is, is higher, uh, then I'm going to pull with the wind at my back. I got no choice. If the sun, if we got low wind and a lot of sun, I'm going to pull with the sun at my back. That's just the way I, I do it. And it's how I plan where I start. Now, after that, I may see something that puts me at odds with both of those things, but I got to get to where I got to get to because I know there's fish over there. So it's just a, a kind of a rule of thumb as to what I do. Uh, your movements on the boat matter. Uh, I am the worst uh, at I'm self-admittedly, I'm still very new to the fly fishing world, and I like to cast my face off um, no matter what kind of water we're in. And, and I've heard that, don't think I'm kind of contradicting myself now. If you are in muddy water, you should be casting. You cannot pull through muddy water and hold the fly in your hand and expect a redfish to jump in the boat. You got to put the fly in the water. You're not always going to see that fish. But if you're in clear water and you can see, 30 40 feet in every direction of the boat you may not want to be flailing that fly rod around too much because that fish can see you and uh, you'll end up spooking them off i am the worst at that because i like to false cast i like to practice casting while i'm out there because i just don't get that much bow time and um, so you may want to be careful of that now that this water is going to be clear for a little bit uh and go out and have a good time. Catch some fish. I would love to hear from you to let me know, hey, uh, you know, we went out, we found them shallow, and this is what working on this this what uh, is what didn't work. So shoot me an email, let me know how it goes, and um, let's move on down to our Bible tidbit for the week. I'm going to tell you guys a Bible story that you probably have never heard before. Even if you are fairly familiar with the scriptures, this is one that doesn't get talked about very much. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Uh, it's in First Kings chapter 13. Its little subtitle is called, A Man of God Confronts Jeroboam. All right, so we never, we never get the name of this guy, Okay. He's a man of God from Judah. That's all 
that uh, that that they tell us. And he's coming out of Judah, and he's going to uh, speak a prophecy over King Jeroboam, who is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. This is after uh, the kingdom has split. So Israel splits in two, and you have the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and you have the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. And this guy is coming out of Judah going to Israel, and he's speaking a prophecy over Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a wicked king. He caused the Israelites to worship uh, false gods and idols and misused the altars of God, all kinds of things, right? Terrible things. So uh, God tells this, this man to go and speak a prophecy to King Jeroboam, and he tells him, go and... and uh, tell Jeroboam all these things that are going to happen to him and his kingdom because of how wicked he is. And, and then when you leave, don't uh, come back by the same way that you came and do not eat or drink anything while you're there. This is cool. So he goes and he gets to Jeroboam and he, he says all that I'm not going to read it out to you. It's long, but he says all that God told him to say, well, Jeroboam, uh, gets upset at these words and he is about to tell his guards and stuff to bind this guy. And the man of God from Judah basically uh, holds out his hand and curses Jeroboam and Jeroboam's hand shrivels up like a raisin, like shrivels up like it, it like, um, like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to explain like how, how it might've looked for a hand to shrivel up, but imagine, uh, all of its strength and rigidity is gone. It's useless. It's a useless appendage now. And Jeroboam cries out, please forgive me. Please pray to your God that, uh, my hand may be restored. And so, uh, he does. He prays to God, says, God, please restore the king's hand. And God does, restores his hand. And King Jeroboam says, thank you so much. I'm so thankful. I'm sorry about all that before. Um, Please stay here at the castle and eat and drink with me. And then you can go about your journey tomorrow. And the guy says, nope, God told me not to come back the same way I got here and to not eat or drink while I was here. So I can't. So he leaves and he's traveling back and it's not a short, it's not a short journey. And he is taking a rest under a tree. And this prophet, this other prophet shows up riding a horse and finds him under the tree. And I think that's an important part of the story because the guy was taking a break. He was tired. And the prophet says, hey, uh, you, you're the man of God from Judah. Um, we heard about what you did. Come back to my house. Stay with me. We'll feed you. We'll send you on your way tomorrow. He says, no, no, I can't do that. God told me not to go, go back the way I came and not to eat or drink anything while I'm here. And 
the lying prophet is what the scriptures call this guy. He says, oh, but God told me that it was perfectly fine for you to come back to my house and eat and drink with me. And so this man of God from Judah says, oh, okay, cool. Because he is hungry, right? And all he needed was for someone to say, hey, God didn't say that. God said something else, which is very much like what happened to Eve in the garden. God was like, don't touch that or don't eat of that fruit on that tree. And the serpent slithered on by and said, hey, did God really say that? And Eve says, oh, he said, he said not to eat it or even touch it. Well, that's not true. God said not to eat it. He didn't say not to touch it. I digress. So this guy is tired. He gets lured back to this lying prophet's house. He gets back. They're eating dinner. In the middle of the dinner, God uh, causes this lying prophet to stand up and proclaim the truth for once and say, hey, you've made a huge mistake. God told you not to uh, go, go back the same way you came and not to eat or drink while you're here. And you have broken his command. And because of that, you're going to die. And he's like, okay. So they finish their meal. And man of God from Judah gets up the next morning, saddles his donkey and takes off. A lion meets him in the road and kills him, but does not harm his donkey. And the lying prophet that lured him back to his house goes and finds his body on the road and takes him back and buries him. End of story. I know. I know that that's strange and heavy, but I think it, the reason I love it so much is because we all tend to believe that our lives are, are so uh, important. This guy is in the Bible. His name is never mentioned. God has a specific purpose for him. And then when he completes that, he did a great thing. He went and did what God asked him to do. He prophesied against a king who could have killed him. He performed a miracle by shriveling that guy's hand and then uh, restoring it again. And yet he disobeyed in this one area and God sent a lion to kill him. And uh, that may not seem fair, I'll just tell you, there's not a whole lot of fair in the Bible. Fair is not something that you look for in the Bible. Fair is not really a thing uh, in life in general. Some people are born in dirt poor uh, third world countries, and some people are born in America. Uh, There are people that have terminal illnesses and the people that beat their terminal illnesses. Uh, people are for, born to loving households and some are born to, uh, to crackheads. So fair is not really something you can grasp if you're, if you're living in reality. God's view is eternal. God understands that our lives here on earth are whispers. They are vapors. The book of Isaiah says that we are like the dew on the grass. We're here in the morning. We're gone in the afternoon. So uh, it's a strange story. There's not a happy ending, but 
I think it's cool, and I hope that it piques your interest enough to go and read it. First Kings chapter 13. Do that. Uh, you won't be disappointed. I am fishing for the next two days, and then I'm going to Nashville, right outside of Nashville. My best friend Justin's birthday is in November, and we're going to celebrate with a boys' trip. We're going golfing for a week. Uh, leave on Monday. I come back on Friday of next week. So I will get a podcast out so that you will have a podcast to listen to while I'm gone. And it will be about the two trips that I take tomorrow. So I just looked at the tide as I was um, meandering about here. And it is at 1.7. It's 9.15 at night on Wednesday night. And the tide's at 1.7, which means we might peak the two mark, two foot mark, which means water's completely back to normal. So I did not expect that. Uh, that is going to be, that's going to be interesting because I wasn't, I was kind of hoping we were going to have, you know, a foot and a half for a high tide, but that's okay. It's all good. We're going to get out there and find the fish. I hope that you guys have a great week. If you are, listening to podcasts. I hope that you're subscribed to the Redfish Network. That's where you're listening to this. Uh, hit the subscribe button. The Paddler's Playbook with Drew Turner is a great uh, podcast as well. He may not be taking any more orders for custom rods. I got mine in at the last second. Uh, and so... He's got Christmas coming up for that. So if you want one, I don't know, you may may twist his arm, tell him you're a subscriber and a listener to both podcasts, and he may he may do you a solid and put you in the mix. I don't know. So uh, do that. Reach out to me, emptystringers at gmail.com, empty underscore stringers on Instagram, and empty stringers on TikTok. Go listen to the Salty Yak, uh, the Paddler's Playbook. Go buy Kevin's Outside Custom Lures at Fish Sticks or from his website, and uh, and yeah, go do all of those things. I hope that you have a great week, and I hope you catch a lot of fish. We'll talk to you next time.